Welcome to Storehouse Dallas. So, whenever Israel found themselves like we have found ourselves, our nation, right? Because that's what we're interceding for, our nation. Whenever, whenever Israel found themselves in that situation, it was because they had not been keeping the commandments. They had not been keeping the covenant. Uh, you can help me if you want. They, they, right? So because they weren't keeping the commandments, the Torah, they were, they were being spanked. And um, I only need one of these. And so God would raise up his prophets to bring Israel back. Sorry, I'm still chewing on my challah. So, that's good challah. So, they would have to be brought back into alignment with keeping his commandments. It's called Torah, his commandments. This, we're going to use the word commandments, right? Because I don't want to trigger anybody. Um, so, they would have to be brought back into alignment to keeping his commandments. All right, so I am going to boldly suggest that what we're going to start to unpack today is that piece that your keyboardist was talking about that where uh, there's grace uh, for that realignment. There's grace for that taking care of business. And she said it's because we love, 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 love you. And see, and that's true because Jesus said, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. These are the commandments we're talking about. They're the commandments that were given to Moses on our behalf. And there's, and it's, it's amazing. It's not legalistic. There's nothing legalistic about it. There's nothing legalistic about loving Jesus and obeying him. Amen. Nothing legalistic about that. If it is legalistic, you're doing it wrong. Right. right? So, I hate legalism. Look at me. Look at me. I look like this for a reason. I, I hate legalism. So... Speaking of that, um, my name is Alan Aguirre. I'm from Los Angeles, uh, the Hollywood Burbank area. Uh, I was in the entertainment industry for the majority of my life, and that's not something I suggest any of you do. Uh, I mention it. I bring it up in this book. This is called this. This thing is spiritual. It's about the um, the spirituality of art from the biblical narrative. Uh, I use music as an example a lot because that's my primary form of art. But this applies to whatever you do. If you're the sound guy, if you're a musician, if you're a painter, a sculptor, a writer, a dancer. But it's it's also for you as a believer because you're supposed to be a worshiper as a believer. And that's about as creative as it gets. So can I give give this to somebody? Well, you're going to have to come up here. I'm not going to throw stuff. That'll poke, poke somebody's eye out. Hi. You're welcome. So that that's everything's off like 20% off out there and you know whatever but the thing is this stuff is about art based on the bible what the bible says about art and creativity it's very important i think so um in 1993 my wife christina christina say hello to all the nice people in 1993 um she gets a vision two sundays in a row of a building one was if i was really cool i'd have pictures up there Hey, can we, did you guys get that? There's a slide of a barn-looking building in snow and a barn-looking building. Ah, see that? So 1993, at church on a Sunday morning, she has a vision of this building. One Sunday, we were in Burbank, California. Um, she sees it with snow, and then she saw it the next Sunday without snow. Watch this. Wow. 
And she goes, Lord, what is this? And he goes, this is where you will live. So the following year, he relocates, our, he relocates us to Dallas, Texas. Very difficult thing for an L.A. boy. We've made, we've made fun of Texas and Texans our whole life. This is what you do when you're from L.A. And he brought us to Dallas, and it was difficult. I mean, it took me like three to four years to just submit to the reality that I lived here. Yeah. I'm serious. It was rough, man. You, you guys in your do-what trucks. and Yeah. And, and the weather. 18 years. He, he had us here for 18 years. Yeah. But the following year, in 1995, he shows us where this is, where he said we would live. Park City, Utah. Uh, Robert Redford, Sundance Film Festival, Sundance Resort. Trout fishing, blue ribbon, trout fishing, 3,000 trout per mile, right through my home, right through my valley, 12 miles of, yeah, yeah, come on over. So we moved there, and it's, no, so, we, so we're here. So we wait in Dallas for 18 years, 18 years before he gives us the green light to move there. Of course, we went there a couple times because I was a touring musician. So we would go back to L.A., we'd go back, we'd go to Park City, we would minister there. You know, it's Mormons live in Utah. And so for 18 years, we waited here in Dallas. Something about the prophetic and waiting on, on the prophetic. So Israel is delivered from Egypt, right? Here's, what, here's how that works out. A little bit of backstory. Abraham, or Abram, before he got the from God, the, right, the Ruach, the Spirit of God. Ab Abram is told that he's going to inherit this land, right? We were talking about inheritance. Uh, this is all about inheritance, the inheritance of son sonship. Very important to remember that. Abram is uh, the son of, a, of an idol maker, probably from Kuwait. So he's shown this land that he's, that, that he's going to be, that he's being promised as a covenant for working, you know, being in covenant with God. And he walks the outline of the, of the territory, which is a lot bigger than the, the boundaries that are there now. But he's told this. He's like, he's told, your people are going to be enslaved for 400 years. 400 years. And until the maturity of the iniquity of the Malachites, right? So while this guy's sin needs to mature, you're going to live in bondage. That's not cool, right? That's not cool at all. The problem, though, here's the key, though. That guy, he's not, even, he's not even entirely human. He's a Nephilim. Genesis 6. We have to bring this up, and here's why. Three reasons. One, the, Genesis 6, the, the watchers, the 200 sons of God came down, had, had sex with human women, and bred 630-foot giants that were not entirely human because they were half human and half angelic. And they, it's, it's a bad thing. What, it's a really bad thing what happens. They survive the flood. Moses and Joshua and Caleb are killing these guys. Caleb actually runs them out from the, the, the mountains across the southern desert and, has them, and holds them at a place called Gaza. Yeah. Anyway, so these, these giants, the Nephilim, here's why it's important. One... It's the news that the Nephilim actually live, possess, or occupies, the better word, the promised land, right? This demonic strain of humanity is, the hive is in the land of Canaan. 
And as soon as Israel hears that, because they're not a warring people, as soon as they're told that, they freak out. And the fear, doubt, and unbelief that entered them caused them to say some really bad stuff like, you've brought us out here to die. Uh, our children are going to be like, you know, it's just horrible what they, what they do and say in their hearts. And that's why God had to wipe out that entire generation. The, the complete Jewish Bible says that bodies were strewn throughout the desert. Right? So they're entirely annihilated in the desert because of their fear, doubt, and unbelief. Because they didn't believe enough in their heart the promise of the inheritance that God was delivering them from to go and obtain. Your prophetic destiny, your prophetic inheritance can be stolen from you. You can allow it to be stolen from you, right? If you don't respond correctly. And that's not a good thing. The second thing that's important is about the Nephilim is they had to actually dispossess them, right? The giants have to be dispossessed from your prophetic inheritance and they will become your bread. They'll become your provision. That's very important. You can read all about that in this book. <laughs> I'm sorry, I'm a ruthless self-promoter is what I've been told. Uh, this is called Exodus to Ingathering. It's a 52-week devotional that starts in March. Uh, March to March, because that's God's biblical calendar. That's the first month of Abib. That's when Passover is, and we're going to get there in a minute. So this book will takes, takes you through the journey of Exodus, right? The Exodus of Israel from Egypt through the desert to their inheritance, their promised prophetic inheritance. Paul, the apostle to the Gentiles, who wants this one? The apostle to the Gentiles, right? Paul... Paul is the apostle to the Gentiles, and Paul says in 1 Corinthians 10, 1 through 12, that what happened to Israel in the desert, do not be ignorant of. Because what happened to them in the desert happened and was written down as an example, as a warning for you, the New Testament church. Look it up, 1 Corinthians 10, verses 1 through 12. And he says that what happened to Israel in the desert, you can't allow to happen to you because the same fate will happen to you. They were saved just like us, and God was not pleased with them, and he kills them all. He does. Uh, that's what the Bible says. So, we don't want that to happen. So, what, what did Israel say, and what did Israel do to cause that to happen? That's what we unpack in here. And we walk you through it, and how to apply it, because it's all about alignment. It's all the stuff we were talking about this morning, during worship. It's about alignment, right? And I, would, and I, I, I will venture to say that what we're going to unpack is the missing piece that we're... That, Right, because God wants to empty us. We kind of touched on that during during worship. Why? So that He can pour, fill us up anew, so that you can be poured out as a drink offering to the nations. And I can't say that even still today without getting all goofy. So, and and that that pouring that He wants to fill that that what He wants to pour out what He that the filling. This is what we're unpacking today. Is what He wants to fill us up with his word his true word unadulterated sound biblical understanding doctrine you know because it's all about inheritance this is how we inherit our prophetic destiny this is how we don't get killed in the desert <laughs> all right you don't want to die in the desert so with that in mind father i want to pray for your spirit of wisdom and revelation over these people and i rebuke any spirit of religion any religious spirit and any anti-Semitic spirit that would be in this room, I dare you to raise your ugly head because we will deal with you. 
Do not do that. Father, we pray for your blessing. We pray for your spirit of wisdom and revelation as we unpack your word. Everyone in agreement with that? Is that okay? All right. I'm going to clear it with the bosses here. All right. So, man, I do it. What's that? I'm sorry? Oh, thank you. So, I do a show on Tuesday morning uh, live on, on YouTube on uh, Messianic Lamb Network, and we, we started talking about this, you know, this thing, it's from China. Yeah, that's why we say it's Chinese, from China. Uh, in January, we started talking about it. By March 10th, it was like, oh. Um, so, I, I said back in March that this Passover, the one we just had six months ago, Passover, was probably one of the most significant Passovers in our history, simply because there was probably more people observing it or aware of it than ever before. Simply because of the the population numbers. More Christians were talking about Passover six months ago than I've ever heard in my life. That, That was like, yikes, what's going on here, right? So last August, Chuck Pierce, we, we, we were here at the, at the head of the year conference, Chuck Pierce's church in Denton, we're a part of, uh, we have an organization called Chameleon Church, it's a House of Zion, uh, we're under Chuck's network of the glory of Zion, and in August, he, brought, he prophesied about this, this thing from China. And, that we, and, then so it, and as, it, as it developed, this Passover was like a real Passover. We had a biblical proportion Passover this year. Because right in February, January, February, we're talking about the locusts. Remember those locusts? Right? Miles of locusts. And then this, this viral thing that was happening that came out of China. And um, I'm sorry. I'll, I'll, I'll behave. <laughs> Hold on. <sighs> I should probably tell I'm an old punk rocker from Los Angeles. So that's, that, that sometimes it comes out. I apologize. So, um, so we had a, a biblical Passover this year. And let me explain a couple things about that, which now brings us to this. Okay? Passover. Who wants this one? Okay. <laughs> Sorry. So, okay, so, oh, this is a devotional journal, part of the devotional journal. (laughs) What kind of church is this? Are you okay? You all right? You got to tumble and roll. Oh, well, thank you. (laughs) I didn't write a waiver. I didn't sign anything like waiver or something like that. Did you get that on video? Okay, so I only have 45 minutes to, to blow your mind here. Let's, let's, so, um, Passover. It says in Exodus that when, when they were in Egypt and, and, and the angel of death passed over Egypt, God did that. God did that. Um, Israel was instructed to stay in their homes after they did the blood on the, on the right? Oh, look at that timer. I hate that thing. Um, <laughs> I'm so bad with timers. Um, see that punk rock thing? At the 44-minute mark, I'm just going to go all sex pistols on you guys. So, uh, <laughs> sorry. Um, maybe I should have said Ramones. Um, 
they're, they're, they're instructed to stay indoors. Don't leave the house because the angel of death is going to wipe them out, right? And it says that that was like that all of Israel obeyed God like one man that night. That was pretty much technically the last time they did that. Wow, right? Because what happens next? They go into the desert and they all die for the next 40 years, right? So they, but they obeyed God that night and stayed indoors. The closest they got to that was like 900, 950 years later in Numbers, no, in uh, Nehemiah 8. When they were assembled and Ezra the priest starts explaining, reading the Torah to them and they're like, oh, we're supposed to be, this is trumpets. And then like two weeks later they observe tabernacles, like we're going to in two weeks. We're going to get to there. We're going to get there. Um, And they said that they listened and they repented as one man. Nehemiah 8. That's like, and it said that they observed tabernacles in such a way that hadn't been seen in Israel since the days of Joshua. That's like 900 plus years. Yeah. That's not good. What happens to these people? You're 300, 400, 500, 600. They die without fulfillment of these things, without being obedient and walking in fulfillment. I know that's not like what you want to hear, but people are... Yes, that's why it's so important what, what, what was spoken during worship and declared this morning about our nation. This is a peace. This is the peace that can do that. And I'll explain why. Okay, so, and then we see, if I was really cool, I'd have the news clip, but I don't. But then Israel is on lockdown during Passover. And it even says that for the first time since the Passover, all of Israel is indoors and I'm like, because oh, someone like me sees that. Oh, no, no, man, that's, that's intense. That's insanely intense. But it happened, right? And then there's prophecies from various people and all that. So we have this big Passover Seder at our house, and we have, uh, we have a Patreon group that joined us online. Patreon, yeah. Uh, what is that? Patreon.com, E2IS, I think, is our Patreon, or E2I series. It's on the back of here, the, the, the link. And, and, uh, and so everyone's gone to bed. It's like midnight, and I'm watching a Lance Wallnow video that he did earlier that day. You guys know who Lance Wallnow is, right? Oh, my gosh. I'm so jealous for his whiteboard, I'm telling you. I just love how he does that. Anyway, and I'm watching this video, and I finish the video, and God goes, God goes, right? He goes, remember that prophetic word I gave you last year on your show that you, I gave it to you live on the air? And, you, you know, and I'm like, yeah, I remember that. Do you remember what you said? Nope. He goes, go find it. How am I going to find like a two-minute segment on an hour-and-a-half show that I do every week for two and a half years? Uh, second time, I scrubbed right up to it. Uh, yeah. And so there's this word that God gives me on October 1st of last year. And he said that, he said, it's as if, he would, let's see if I can do it. And he goes, enough! And he hits the table really hard. Enough! And the reason, why, the reason why I bring that up is because I thought it was for the fall feast last year. I was convinced it was for last year's fall feast. But I'm more convinced that it's for now. Yeah. Why? Because five or six weeks ago, you guys had um, uh, Patricia King here, right? And what she said confirmed the word. I have it on video. I did a five-minute edit of the word. And she say, says the same thing, like five weeks ago. And then on Thursday night, Robert Heidler over at Glory of Zion said the whole enough is enough thing. So the thing is this. God says enough. Hits, hits the table really hard. And then as a father to a loving son, he says, it's time. It's time for you to grow up. It's time for you to start adulting in me. 
it's time for you to start taking care of your business, your spiritual business with me. There's no more time left. And he says that if you haven't figured this stuff out by now, you probably won't. Remember, 50% of us are left behind because we run out of oil. We all knew when and where to meet them. See, this is for keeps. This is really serious stuff. And so we, I loved what, what you were saying, Matthew, about how we're equipping. We, we're here to equip you in, these, in kingdom because this is what this is about, kingdom. All right? So this word, time for you to write, adulting, how do we adult? What, what, what does this look like? What is this, right? Okay. So, oh, man, here we go. Um, I, I'm really excited about being here, and here's why. I, I usually do this with the Torah observer community, the Messianic community, and they don't necessarily believe in the Holy Spirit, charismatica. They think it's demonic. And I get to tell them that my pork-eating Christian friends are, gonna, are better off than you are because they're not calling the Holy Spirit demonic like you are. You can't do that, right? So I'm excited to be here because you guys understand that and you understand the, the, this Holy Spirit piece and the importance of it, but then you're also starting to, you're, you're, you're on your journey to this stuff. The feast. The feast of God. Leviticus 23. Now let me, let me just do a little bit of correction. These are not Jewish holidays. These are not Jewish feasts. Because God says these are my feasts for my people. I want to be his people. And so, and so right? And this is where we start getting sticky. Gentiles are all, well, I'm not a Jew. But wait, wait, wait. Romans. You're, you're Gentile your apostle to the Gentiles, Paul, says you're grafted into the commonwealth of Israel, into the olive tree, right? And that they support it. They're the root. You're not. Oops. So, either way, this applies to you. Le- Leviticus 23 applies to modern-day Christianity. And, and we're going to talk about Jesus and all these. So, we already know about Jesus. Here's, look at this. It's really, it's really easy. First Peter, I think we got it up here. First Peter, this is from the Complete Jewish Bible. You should be aware that the ransom paid to free you from the worthless way of life which your fathers passed on to you did not consist of anything perishable like silver or gold. On the contrary, it was the costly, bloody, sacrificial death of the Messiah as of a lamb without defect or spot. God knew him before the founding of the universe, but revealed him in the Akarit which is the last days for your sakes. He's the Passover lamb slain before the foundations of the earth, Jesus is. See, God already had a, an out for us, even before Adam gave over the, the, the deed of the earth to, back to Lucifer, right? So this is really important. Jesus is already in this. So on the 10th day, so... It's around our March, April. It's the first month of the year. It's known as Abib. On the 10th day, uh, the, the, the Passover lamb is presented. They look for it, right? And they examine it for four days for blemishes or not. And then on the, on the evening of the 14th day of that month is when they sacrifice the lamb on behalf of the people. So what the Catholics call Palm Sunday, which we've adopted as Protestants because we're Reformed Catholics. That's as far as I'm going to go with that. You'll have to read this because I don't want to get in trouble. I won't get in trouble, but you know what I'm saying? It's too much, right, for the time frame. So Palm Sunday is that 10th day of the month when Jesus walked into Jerusalem and they all held him as the son of David, the Messiah. 
And they, they're, they're essentially picking him to be their, their Passover lamb. He's then, he then spends the next four days being drilled, examined by Pharisees, scribes, lawyers, Torah teachers, Herod, and Pilate, and then the Sanhedrin. And at, by, before the sunset, they have to sacrifice him, and he's killed because the, the Sabbath was starting. Not the weekly Friday Sabbath, but the Sabbath of the first day of the Feast of Unleavened Bread, the high Sabbath of the first day of the Feast of Unleavened Bread, which fell on a Wednesday that week. The Last Supper, the Last Supper was not uh, a, a Passover because they, they were doing it all wrong. You can't, you can't be the Passover lamb and have dinner with your buddies. You're, it's one or the other. You're either having dinner with your buddies or you're on the cross, right? So, so... See, see how Jesus is in all this? Jesus has to parallel the calendar, the, the, right, that God has set up through Moses. And all throughout the Gospels, Jesus defers to the authority of Moses all the time. Right? If you don't believe Moses, you can't believe me. You've got Moses. That's all you need, you know, when it comes to a certain parable. But my point is, he's, he's deferring to that authority because that's the authority God set up. Right? He's a prophet unto Moses, it says. And whose song are they singing in, in the throne room? The song of Moses. This is an important piece of our, of our storyline that we've lost, that's been robbed. Because see, right? The enemy's job is to what? Keep mainstream Christianity from speaking in tongues, healing the sick, casting out demons, and raising the dead. Right? If I can keep, right? They hate, he hates, I mean, well, the enemy loves unarmed peasants. So if he can keep you unarmed, right? Speaking in tongues, healing the sick, casting the demons, raising the dead. Man, he's got, he's got a lot of leeway, right? Well, this is another piece like that, right? Because if, if, if you start keeping God's feast, God's appointed times and days, you'll see this transformative thing happen, not only with yourself, but with your family. And that's where Sabbath comes in. That's where Shabbat comes in. And you guys have been doing that for the last couple months, right? I've been saying for years that if every, Amer every American Christian family would do Shabbat, I don't care. At this point, I don't care what day you do it. Just do it. But it's Friday sunset, please. <laughs> all, all the Torah people out there are going, what did he just say? Yeah, we'll talk later. Right? Friday sunset. If you guys do that, and, and it's as simple as, you know, so I, I get, well, I don't, we're not Jewish. We're not going to do all that Jewish stuff. It's not Jewish stuff. It's your Bible God stuff. God's a Hebrew God. It's not Greek or Roman. So anyway, um, if you, if, what, what do we do? We're talking about, we're talking about communion. Do you, can you lead your family in communion? That's in your New Testament. And they're like, oh, well, yeah, I can do that. But then they don't, right? So, but if, if we did that, as if every family, every household in this church, if you did that on Friday nights, it will change the world. You want to change our government? You want to change our cities? You want to change all that? Man, we're the, we're the, the, we're the measuring rod. We're supposed to be preparing a people, right? For his return. Right, that's, that's how you do it. All right, so. Now, as we begin to unlock the feast, you'll start to appreciate how Father God establishes things from the very beginning for his people, like the Passover lamb being slain before the foundation of the earth. You'll start to see the character and person of Messiah. And the father's heart toward in gathering of his people into himself, very much like a mother hen. Remember that, because why? Why did he? Why did he free uh, Israel from Egypt? We're going to get to that. So, because God's calendar is agricultural, the feasts are intricately connected to the land. This is why Jesus used agricultural metaphors as often as he did in the Gospels. 
words like planting, seeds, reaping within concepts of sowing, seasons, harvesting. The first three spring feasts are connected to barley, the first crop in Israel's yearly harvest. Seven weeks later, 50 days, the assembly is gathered for the wheat harvest and to participate in the receiving of Torah and the baptism of Pentecost on their way to the ingathering of the produce harvest of tabernacles. That's why it says is the end of the year. Not the beginning, not the head of the year, but the end of the year. Because it's the end of the farming cycle. The feasts are a massive part of Israel's identity, individually, corporately, physically, and spiritually. Imagine the richness these yearly experiences and excursions to Jerusalem brought to families and individuals, right? I mean, you're all going to Jerusalem to present yourself before God. Jesus knew this, so the agricultural symbolism in his discourses rang true to his listeners, and you can look for it in your studies. Jesus had to emulate everything that was written in the Torah and the prophets about him. Luke 24 says that. In order for him to be Messiah. This included mirroring the Passover lamb selection and entering Jerusalem, like we said, his execution as a Passover lamb, his burial, which is Feast of Unleavened Bread, and his resurrection, Feast of First Fruits. Feast of First Fruits occurs after the weekly Sabbath of the first Sabbath following Passover within the week of Feast of Unleavened Bread. <laughs> yeah, baby. Let me explain that again. You have pass- Passover is a little thing that happens right in, in, the, in the twilight, right before sunset. When that sunset of the 14th day hits, it's now the 15th day. Because since Genesis, God counts from the evening to the evening. Okay? So that means at sunset, it's tomorrow. So on the 14th day, right before sunset, the Passover lamb is slain. At sunset is the beginning of the high Sabbath of the Feast of Unleavened Bread. That's going to go for seven days. So the first day and the last day are high Sabbaths. Well, the first Sabbath within that week, at the end of that Sabbath, is Feast of First Fruits. That's when the the priest, the, the high priest, the Levitical high priest, would bring out uh, the barley because it's the month of barley. It's the month of a bib. It's about all the. It's about the barley harvest. And he would wave. He would do a wave offering. You guys know about wave sheaf offerings, right? Okay. Yes? yes. Okay. So right. And that's why we think Mary thought he was the gardener. Because Jesus is out there resurrected with a whole bunch of other people presenting himself as first fruits as well as all these other people. Paul says a whole bunch of them rose from the dead with him. We that, we think that's why Mary might have mistaken him for being the gardener because he's out there doing the whole. Waving vegetation. And then he says, then he calls her, Mariam, and she recognizes his voice, Rabboni. Oh, and it's like this major thing. Ah, don't touch me, I'm on my way to, right? So, did you get the chills from there? Did you like that? Want me to say it again? Okay. <laughs> so at the end of the Sabbath, the high priest presents the first fruits. And he's what? The firstborn of the dead. He's the first fruits. That's on a Saturday night. See, because they didn't go to the grave to, to, to work with the body until Sunday morning. Because they couldn't. Because, right? They couldn't on Thursday because it's a high Sabbath. On Friday it says that they got, they got all the spices. Then it's the Sabbath again. And then they had to wait till after the Sabbath to go and see the, 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 the tomb. And he was already gone. So because he's following God's calendar, he, he, was, he, raised from the, he, was, he rose on a Saturday night after Shabbat, not Sunday morning. 
Sorry, sorry, but that's that's what I'm going to go with the Bible every single time. I just I just edited myself. All right, so <laughs> I get excited when I do that. So we have Passover, death, unleavened bread, burial, first fruits, resurrection. Then you have the counting of the Omer. See, in the Bible, we count from Passover forward 49 days, whereas another religion counts 40 days before Passover or Easter. See, it's called an Ishmael. It's a counterfeit. My Bible says count 49 days starting after Passover, right? Because on the first fruits, that Saturday night begins the beginning of the counting of the Omer. So you're going to count seven weeks, seven Sabbaths. And on the 50th day, Sunday, it'll always be a Sunday, it's Pentecost. 50, penny. And if you look at the, your, your uh, Strong's, it actually says Shavuot. It mentions Shavuot because it's the same day that Moses received the Torah on Mount Sinai. Okay? Yeah. Is this making sense? All right. That's where you got your Shavuot Pentecost, covenant, one new man. You've heard about that, right? Ephesians 2? All right. Then you've got like about four months, and then we begin trumpets. That was Friday night, two nights ago, or a day and a half ago. So on Friday night was the, the, the Yom Turah, the day of trumpets. So in the same way the enemy's been messing with Christianity, he's been messing with Judaism. So when they left Babylon, they came out of Babylon with Babylonian names like Tammuz. God's not behind that, people. He's not behind naming his months after, you know, other versions of Lucifer, right? Nimrod, Tammuz, Baal, Apollyon, Gilgamesh. That's all the same thing. Started with Nimrod. He's not, he's not, God's not going to call one of his months Tammuz. That's just, that's your first clue, okay? So they leave Babylon with the month names, with Babylon, Babylonian month names. And we explain why it's not Rosh, Rosh Hashanah, why it's not a new year. That's a Babylonian thing. They, they adapted this Babylonian thing and brought it with them. Because it's a civil new year, right? That's, so that's, that's where that came in. Because God said month one, is a bib, and that's like our March, April, when Passover starts. I have to tell you that because I'm not going to sit here and tell you that what, you know, what you've been told is true if it's not true. I'm not going to lie to you. Okay? So, on Friday night, we saw the, the visible crescent was, was, was seen because this is all based on the moon. God set it up that way, not, not me. All right? God set it up. You, you watch for the visible crescent because that's when you know it's Rosh Kodesh. That's when you know it's the new month. All right? And um, that was Friday night. So Saturday, yesterday, was not only the Sabbath, but it was also the high Sabbath of Feast of Trumpets. And it's a memorial of looking back, dedicated with the blowing of shofars, which is why we had a shofar blown. And so what's really interesting, and in my research for this, is uh, they don't, well, we don't really know what we're supposed to be remembering. Well, of course not. Of course you don't remember who wants to remember that you were called to covenant marriage relationship with God and you screwed it up? Right. No one wants to remember that. Because four months ago, when was the last time Israel heard a significant shofar? Four months ago at Shavuot when that supernatural shofar was blown and it got louder and louder and louder, calling them to Mount Sinai to, be, to present themselves before God because he wanted to marry them. And they went, no, Moses, you go. 
You go in our sin. We'll listen to you. And so that's why Jesus then becomes our bridegroom. That's God's fix. All right, um, you're going to have to marry my son, and you're going to have to go through all this other stuff, right? So that's what Trumpets is about, the call to salvation. And then in 10 days, or 9 days from yesterday, or 9 days from today, is atonement, holy of holies, repentance, presenting yourself, right? Checking yourself, because in 5 days is tabernacles, also known as ingathering, right? The indwelling, the Sabbath rest. Three times a year, every firstborn Israeli male was, uh, was to present himself before Adonai in Jerusalem. Three pilgrimage feasts. Unleavened bread, Passover. Shavuot, Pentecost. That's why all those people, all those pilgrims were in Jerusalem when they came out of the upper room speaking in tongues. That's why all those people were in Jerusalem. They were there to present themselves before God on Shavuot. And then tabernacles, which is in like two weeks, right? You can see that in Exodus 23. I think that, I threw that up there. Uh, now, each feast season, I'm, I'm, I'm rushing ahead, I'm looking at this timer and it's got me. Each feast season is designed to speak to a spiritual exchange between us and the Father. Okay? Passover speaks to our sin and the sacrifice of blood required for atonement in our deliverance from Egypt, our carnal state. Unleavened bread speaks to the purging of sin and bad doctrine, leaven, from our lives and homes. First fruits the joy of bringing first fruits to Adonai after the redemptive process of deliverance. Shavuot, which is also weeks in Hebrew, itself speaks of the actual wheat harvest, right? So Passover is barley. Here we've got the 49 days leading up to the wheat harvest of Shavuot. God's physical provision in our lives and the spiritual provision of his word, Torah, at Mount Sinai. Shavuot also reveals his, his desire to betroth us as his bride through the covenant of Torah, his initial marriage proposal. The giving of his Holy Spirit at Pentecost on the same day completes his richness given to us to live life abundantly. Note the marriage was never consumed and Jesus then became our bridegroom instead of the Father. You'll see in Acts, Paul interrupting his missionary journeys at least twice to return to Jerusalem to present himself before the Father for Shavuot. For all of those that believe that these guys didn't keep the law because Jesus did away with it. Paul not only shaves his head on a couple times for the Nazarite vow, he goes to Jerusalem to observe Shavuot. What is Paul, the token Torah boy, or the token boy for anti-Torah for Gentiles, why would he be doing that? If, right? Well, he should never have said Torah. Romans is all about this. All his letters. Because see, what are we talking about? Here's, let me explain it real quick. If you used to kill, stop killing, he says in every one of his letters. If you used to lie, stop lying. If you're sexually immoral, stop being sexually immoral. If you used to be a thief, stop stealing, right? This is, this is Paul's letters. Those are all commandments. See, all he's doing is provoking us and equipping us as the apostle to his church to obedience, right? Because sin is disobedience. 1 John says, sin is the breaking of Torah. So, the fall feasts speak of our being called to him with the blast of the shofar, trumpets, the consecration of our cleansing through repentance, right, which is going to happen in nine years during Yom Kippur, 
And the redemption given us with the ingathering of his people, his bride, unto himself, a people that would become his tabernacle in which he dwells in their midst in his Sabbath rest. So the next one, the spiritual, spiritual application of the feast. This is all in here, by the way. There's a, there's, there should be a, a graphic. Passover, blood atonement for our sin nature, salvation through faith in the shed blood of the lamb, deliverance from Egypt. This is how we see Jesus in this stuff. Unleavened bread, death, and entombment of old man and sin nature. Separation and removal of sin and bad doctrine, leaven, from our lives and homes. Because we're supposed to clean our house of leaven, right? And we do the biblical version of it, not the 15-page rabbinical version of it. That's, that's not, no. We're not rabbinical, we're biblical. When we, our approach to this stuff, okay? Um, first fruits, resurrected oh, one new man, newness of life. Feast of weeks, the Omer count leading up to Shavuot, weeks, and Pentecost. Increase of the harvest of our lives through acceptance of God's wedding contract, immersion, and indwelling of Holy Spirit. Feast of trumpets, call to action, sound of the call on our lives, alignment, assembling, and linking shields. Day of atonement, repentance and submission. Feast of tabernacles, in-gathering, wedding feast, Messiah's Sabbath rest. Tabernacles. He dwells, right? He came to dwell among us. Dwelling. It represents the temporary dwelling places that Israel lived in throughout the desert. And we do it for eight days, not seven. It's a, it's a week-long feast. It's like party time. I mean, it really is. It's so legalistic. He tells you to go get drink, <laughs> food, merriment. It's like a Renaissance festival. <laughs> you guys didn't have Scarborough Fair this year. <laughs> And you know, Disneyland was closed, too. That's how you know it's the end of the world. <laughs> Tabernacles. It is, like, awesome, because it really is party time. Jesus was born during Tabernacles. We know that from the biblical narrative. We can, we can, we can I, sh- it's, I explain that in here. Um, what else? Tabernacles. Indwelling. Dwelling among us. Tabernacling among us. It's It's awesome. Let's look prophetically at what Revelation says about this dwelling and the marriage supper of the Lamb, all right? This, was, this is pretty cool right here. In the New Testament, we see how Jesus is the bridegroom and believers are betrothed to him in traditional Jewish marriage fashion after the betro, bet, betrothal, betrothal, what's the word there? There you go. See, I, yeah. Jesus goes back home to prepare a place for his bride, you and me. We also see the bridal paradigm in the Revelation of John. Here we are, Revelation 19, 6 through 9. Then I heard what seemed to be the voice of a great multitude, like the roar of many waters and like the sound of mighty peals of thunder crying out. Hallelujah, for the Lord our God, the Almighty reigns. Let us rejoice and exult and give him the glory. For the marriage of the Lamb has come, and his bride has made herself ready. It was granted her to clothe herself with fine linen, bright and pure. For the fine linen is the righteous deeds of the saints. Obedience, And the angel said to me, write this. Blessed are those who are invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. And he said to me, these are the true words of God. It, this, now we have another version of this in Revelation 21. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, behold, 
the dwelling or tabernacle place of God is with man. He will dwell with them and they will be his people and God himself will be with them as their God. Then came one of the seven angels who had the seven bowls full of the seven last plagues and spoke to me saying, come, I will show you the bride, the wife of the lamb. And he carried me away in the spirit to a great high mountain and showed me the holy city of Jerusalem coming down out of heaven from God. Notice verse 3 in chapter 21. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. Now let's look at our prophetic past in the book of Exodus regarding the Passover and the Exodus from Egypt. The reason behind bringing Israel out from under the burden of Egypt and the reason for Israel's deliverance. Exodus 6. Therefore say to the Israelites, I am the Lord and I will bring you out from under the yoke of the Egyptians. I will free you from being slaves to them and I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with mighty acts of judgment. I will take you as my own people and I will be your God. Then you will know that I am the Lord your God who brought you out from under the yoke of the Egyptians and I will bring you to the land I swore with with uplifted hand to give to Abraham, to Isaac and to Jacob. I will give it to you as a possession. I am the Lord. Now look at verse nine, uh, chapter 19 in Exodus. You yourselves have seen what I did to Egypt and how I carried you on eagle's wings and brought you to myself. Now if you obey me fully and keep my covenant, Torah, then out of all nations you will be my treasured possession. Although the whole earth is mine, you will be for me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. That's what Peter says, right? These are the words you are to speak to the Israelites. Passover's deliverance and salvation from physical slavery and death And the resulting exodus from Egypt occurred with one single goal in mind, an encounter 50 days later with the living God. That's why you were delivered from Egypt, from your own Egypt, was to have a covenant encounter with God. Shavuot prophetically speaks of the marriage between man and God in Israel, never consummated the marriage vows. Jesus is now man's final hope for that consummation, the consummation of, I will take Mary you, the bride, to be my people, my wife, and I, the bridegroom, will be your God, our husband. We see this in Exodus 6, 7, and we see it again with the new Jerusalem coming out of the sky as a bride adorned to her husband in Revelation 21, verse 3. I will take you to be my people in Exodus. This is what he says. I will take you to be my people, and I will be your God. In Revelation, he says, they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. This is the gospel unto salvation. This is, in effect, God's master plan for humanity. Our prophetic tomorrow, our prophetic inheritance of sonship, the marriage supper of the Lamb, started in Exodus, out of the Exodus of Egypt. I will be your God. You will be my people. I will draw you to myself. You will be my kings and priests. And then we see it in Revelation in its full completion. So, how do we get from Exodus to our prophetic inheritance? Obedience. Otherwise, Paul says, you'll die in the desert. No, he doesn't want you to die in the desert. So, in order to get from your Egypt to your prophetic inheritance, we have to obey his commandments. That's why he says, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. So, the easiest, right? I mean, you're already doing that. Right? You're not stealing. You're not lying. You're not committing adultery. You're not fornicating. You're not murdering. I hope. Right? You're doing those things already. 
So the reason why this is important, because this is a seven-month cycle of worship, of meeting with God on his appointed times, when he said it, how he said it, it's worship. Right? And, and, and it brings them the highest honor. Amen. Because it's a prophetic look. Right? One of my favorite words for this means um, prophetic rehearsal. Well, what are we prophetically rehearsing for? Tomorrow. Yes, the marriage supper. Do you know how significant that is? That he would set it up for us to practice what he wants us to do in the ingathering of tabernacles. Sorry, the microphone. He wants us to do this, right? This is what the marriage supper of the Lamb is. And he wants us to be a part of that so much. He's laid it out on how we can do it in the here and the now to ensure that we get there. Because when you do this, because this is, this is what Moses was trying to get Israel to do in the desert, and they balked at it. If we do this, right? March, the March, April. We do Passover, right? Oh, Jesus. Unleavened bread. We don't eat leavened bread. Why? Because it represents sin and bad doctrine and we're being obedient. And then first fruits, resurrection. And now we count the Omer, right? Okay, in anticipation. For what? Holy Spirit encounter, man. For, being, for indwelling. Okay, then that happens on the 50th day. Bam! Okay. Now that'll carry you over for the next four months. And then, okay, here we go again, right? Here we are, beginning of the fall feast, right now, as of yesterday. Trumpets. I remember God's call to covenant. That's why I'm a Christian, right? I, 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 I do this because I'm being transformed into the likeness of Messiah, and we're supposed to imitate him. Well, he was all about this, right? So now, trumpets, remembrance, all right, Man, we're, we're going we're gonna to present ourselves before the Father in 10 days during you know, Yom Kippur, right? Atonement, at one mint, and then five days later, in-gathering, tabernacles. And you do this every year. Why? Because it, it, it's, a, it's, it's, it's to remind you. It's to keep you in alignment. It's to put you in, Right? You want his face to shine upon you. How do we do that? Well, if we're, in, if we're in that proximity zone, right, of being known of him and by him, that's what this does because it keeps us in check, right? Right now, as, as far as mainstream Christianity goes, we, don't, we have Sunday morning church to do that, and they took that away for six weeks earlier this year, and, and the majority of churches, church people lost their minds in six weeks' time. Did we not? Did we not hear the reports of that? They plunged into depression, alcohol, pornography, all sorts of crazy stuff because they couldn't go to church for six weeks. What does that say? They have no root system. They have no relationship. They, I don't know what they're doing. How do you, how do you develop that root system, that relationship, that covenant, that kingdom lifestyle? Well keep his appointed times and feasts. And then every week we do the Sabbath. Why? Because he says so. He says every once a week, right, on the seventh day, on the sixth day, you know, sixth or seventh day, I want you to keep the Sabbath. And it reminds you of three things. One, that I made the world in six days. Two, that I delivered you from Egypt. And this makes you holy. That's what it says. That's what the Sabbath is for. 
And then every month with the new moon, we're, we're reminded, well, here we go. It's a do-over. Go to the prophets. Get a word from the prophets. That's what, what's her name did? The woman that built the little apartment for Elijah? That's what she did on every new moon. It says that. She wanted to go to Elijah. When, when, remember when she wanted to get a word about her son who died? And her husband goes, it's not the Sabbath or the new moon. Why are you going to the prophet? Which means she had a, she had a, a habit a routine of going to the prophet on the Sabbath and the new moon to hear from the Lord. So if you're doing this once a month, right, Father, and then every week you're leading your family in communion, man, you're, you're, you're functioning as a high priest. Imagine that. It blows my mind, the amount of Christians, Christian men that have never led their family in communion at home. I, I do this. I do this for a while. I've been doing this for a while, and I do this all around the country, and they, they don't do that. And then they wonder why, you know, why they're, they're, not, they're not winning. They're not adulting. Remember? Enough. And then you have the feast. You have a seven-month period. So your year, you're, you're constantly being put before the face of the, of the Father. Does that make sense? Does that sound legalistic? Because it's not. It's disobedience. Is it legalistic to be faithful to your wife or not to kill your neighbor? No. (laughs) Right? I mean, think about it. And the last thing I want to remind you of is this. I do want to say one thing. I know I'm out of time, but I do want to remind you of this, and that's... Oh, man, I forgot it. I forgot it. So let me tell you what I was going to say. So about this year, 5781, I heard a lot, right? It, it, it is about alignment. It really is about alignment. And it really is about, one of the things we kept hearing over at Chuck's place is it's, yeah, knowing, knowing your tribe, knowing who your people are. Because you can't do this alone. You're not supposed to do this alone. But here's, here's something I thought was interesting, and I want to bring this up. Because it's, so we've, we've got the Aleph, the one, in pay, right? So it's, it's, it basically means the, the strength of the ox is in the mouth. So last year was all about the mouth, and then they have us doing this. And I have a really awesome mask I was going to bring out and demonstrate that, but it, would, it could trigger people. That's why I didn't wear it. But, right? So last year's, right? Last September, it's the year of the mouth, and, and they do this to us. Oh, sorry. I'm sorry. I'm used to ha- I'm used to having the Madonna thing going on. <laughs> sorry, because see, I'm a singer in a band. But if I do that, it gets a little weird. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Where's my wife? <laughs> so, so I'm used I'm used to the Madonna thing. So that's why I'm I'm like doing this. Sorry. Um, so it's the mouth, right? It was about the mouth, and then they have us doing this. We're covering up our mouth. Um, so this year, it's about the ox, the strength of the ox, the olive in our mouth. So, but what's, here's what's scary. So there's a seven-year cycle. I don't know if you know this. There's a seven-year cycle. And every seven years is the Sabbath year. And because Israel didn't observe the seventh Sabbath year, that's why they were taken to Babylonian captivity. Okay. And it's, so it's the Sabbath year, the Shemitah year. That's next year. So next September, that begins. All right? Which means we just entered into the sixth year. Which means this. Christianity, Christianity taught us that Jesus can come back at any moment. No, that's not true. 
he's going to come back either around the end of the 6th or the beginning of the 7th, probably not the 1st, that's weird, right? Based on the model. Evening, 6th day, 7th day, right? 7s, I mean, this is how it works. Well, we just entered the 6th year, and next year, next September, will be the 7th year, the Sabbath year. Here's why I say that, because there's a little bit of a concern here. Rabbinical prophecies regarding 5781, the year we just entered. 600 years ago, a rabbi predicted that he wrote in his book called From the Light of Darkness, a commentary on the Torah about events occurring in the year that ends 5780, which just finished, and about the year that began in 5781. As is well known, as stated in the dream of Daniel, the fourth kingdom is the kingdom of Adam, and it ends in the year 5780. Then it seems that the rule of the nine months will begin, as stated in the Gemara, with Talmud, and then afterwards it will be the time of redemption in the kingdom of heaven forever. Amen. 600 years ago, he's saying that this year is the beginning of the year of redemption. The, it's another rabbi said that this year is the last Rosh Hashanah without Messiah. A, a rabbinical commentary says that this year, 5781, is the year of the Messiah. And, in, and another guy said, another rabbi said, that, the, that this year is the day of salvation for Israel and the soul of Mashiach or Messiah will be revealed. Here's, my, here's why that got my attention. If we've entered into the sixth year and this is what they're saying about the sixth year, we're about to enter, right? It's in the time frame where Jesus could return. And people are, well, so much has to, well, you know what? Babylon falls in one day. After, two th after how many thousands of years Israel reclaimed Jerusalem in six days? You know, a lot can happen in the next two years. Anyway, not to scare you because here's what we do, right? So what do we do with this information? We, are we allow ourselves to be hidden in the cleft of the rock. <laughs> right? What's coming, I will tell you this, and I spoke this prophetically about two months ago. What is coming is ancient. All the stuff in Revelation, the watchers being unleashed from the bottomless pit, blah, 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 blah. It's all that stuff's ancient, right? It's our ancient past coming back in our tomorrow. That's what Revelation tells us. But don't be afraid because we serve the ancient of days. So, Father, I ask that you would seal this word in these hearts. Father, that you would quicken their spirit to want and desire to keep your feast days, to keep your appointed times, to keep your calendar. Because that's just another piece of the alignment.